Shomo and Redmond are the thong slappers. They're two blokes making lots of noise but getting nowhere fast. Hey, g'day folks, this is Simon and welcome to episode 17 of the Thong Slappers. I know Redmond's very excited by episode 17 because that's his favourite racing number. Here you go, mate. Hey, Simon, the way to slow a falcon down is to put number 17 on the door. But uh, welcome back to Australia's first and only dedicated streetcar podcast. Um, a bit crook this morning. I'm, uh, I think the chicken I had was off like mum's undies on Father's Day. Oh, really? That's not the go. Well, I hope you're feeling all right. Uh, now, listen... Before you actually say too much more, and before I start falling for your lies, you seem to tell me that you and Deb were going to a Chinese festival or something last night in Townsville, and the dragon shirt was going to be in play. So I think I know the real reason why you'd be feeling sick today. Did the dragon shirt get a run? Please tell me you did. I get so excited by it for some stupid reason. That pissed last night. I took my shirt off to do a shit. <laughs> I was in the toilet. I'm thinking, why am I taking my shirt off? <laughs> That's when you know. That's when you know you're hammered, isn't it? It's just you feel better if you're just in the nude. You just feel like you're free. That's all it is. And really, at the end of the day, you didn't want to take any chances of making a mess of that shirt, which I fully understand. Now, look, we've got a special guest star joining us today. Whether he's still on the line after hearing us say that, whether he wants to be a part of this is probably going to, we'll know if there's crickets on his end of the line, but uh, Redmond, do you want to do the introduction to our special guest star we have today? Yeah, I was quite surprised. You put it on me quite late in the piece that we're going to have a special guest, so uh, I'd like to welcome to the Thong Slappers, Mr. Simon Telford. G'day, Simon. How are you? Oh, sorry, it's yeah. Andrew Broadley. Sorry, I thought, you, I thought you said the big guy from Street Machine, Simon. Oh, sorry, Andrew, how are you? Yeah, come well, thanks. How are you, Red? Oh, oh. Mate. Yeah, sorry for the confusion. <laughs> no, that's all right, mate. Telfo was busy, so you got stuck with the two I see, mate. <laughs> he's he's uh, just he's just twisting your nipples already, mate. That's all it is. <laughs> Don't listen to a word he says. <laughs> oh, thanks. Saint Lucia just bought me a tea down. What a champion! Thanks, love. Sorry. Did you give a Scotch finger biscuit? No, negative. It's hard to hear me mumble anyway, so best not to actually drink. You know, eat while I'm drinking. You know what I wanted to say to you, actually, Simon. Yeah. Hello, Blossom. You come to the thing. <laughs> I got to say, when I was listening back to your to the sixty short story you did on that, I was actually really impressed that you put in the Irish accent. It was that's exactly what he talked like. You know, it was all fucking cunt. Oh, fucking fucking like yeah. It's it's like swearing but not swearing because he's not actually pronouncing it how us Aussies do, but. Yeah, you know, look, it's when I was thinking about that, he's probably moved on by now. He's probably passed on old John, so he, he was a good guy. He was a harmless guy, but I tell you what, he's a bit of a character, that's for sure. What impressed me most about that was it was okay into the 60s, but everybody obviously knows it also featured in Blown Gaskets in Street Machine magazine. Yes. And it yep. cost me one carton of Tim Tams because I bet you that you couldn't get a story into Street Machine about your mate getting his nuts sucked. <laughs> I tell you what, though, that's one of those things that's just stayed with me for life. But now that you actually have put that different angle onto it, I'll probably never think of that story the same again. But, you know, look, the hardest part was trying to explain in words the sound it made. You know, like I tried to explain it by saying, you know, when you're doing a Chinese tune-up on a carb with a carbine, you're like revving it up and you put your hand on the carbine and it sort of goes, squaw, like it gets that real choking noise. It was like that. It just was, you know, he's giving up full revs and his, his nuts have gone down the intake and it's just gone, it's, it was sounded like that Chinese tune up with your hand on it. It was just unbelievable. I'll never forget that noise as long as I live. That Chinese tune up reminds me, a friend of mine, Wayne Milligan, had a HR with a 350 Holly on a Holden 6 and no park break. Yeah. So every morning, watching him get ready for work, he used to have to put the phone book, take the air cleaner off, put the phone book, this is in the cold in Ken, and put the phone book on top of the carburetor. So the thing put in neutral, put a brick under the brake so it wouldn't roll away. And I just thought he's he's fairly uncoordinated, my old mate Milligan. I thought he's dead set going to squash himself or set himself on fire one day. <laughs> to... You know, I did. He he's not a mechanic. He he worked in a bookshop and I often thought to myself, you know what, I should fix the park brake. But yeah, no, fuck, it was too much fun watching it. <laughs> Fair enough. I was going to say he probably sounds like he was a mechanic. The fact that he didn't fix anything on his own car—that's normally how it rolls. But still got it. Has he? All these years later. He's still got it sitting in a shed in Portland, New South Wales. It's been there for over 20 years. It's got a 202 with a Holly, a five-speed uh, 
hot wires on it, an original 90s respray, mate. It's a beautiful, and it's got, it's still at the moment got no rust. I checked it out a couple of Christmas ago. It's beyond help almost. It needs to be yeah. given to somebody. Yeah, it's a shame to see a colour. Look, I think we're being a bit uh, remiss with our guests. Let's let's bring our guest in. It's hard to get a word in. Tell for tell. It's hard to get a word in with you and I. So, Andrew, <laughs> you have the floor. <laughs> Thanks for having me along, fellas. I'm um, a big fan of what you guys do, and I, I listen to the podcast religiously, so it's um, I'm stoked to be involved. Mate, it's a pleasure to have you on board. And, look, we have got a bit of an ulterior motive here to have you along for this particular Bible studies. We're actually going to be talking about the new Street Machine Commodores magazine, of which you're the head honcho. You're actually the editor. But, mate, before we get into that, Andrew James Broadley, this is your life. So, mate, was I even close with your middle name? I just took a wild guess at that. Was I even close with James? Oh, yeah, John. I mean, it started with Jay, so yeah, pretty solid. <laughs> I'll take that as a win. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's going to be James or Charles, because they seem to be the pretty standard middle names. But, mate, what kicked you off into cars? Like, what got you to where you are now, as far as cars go? Um, yeah, well, as a, a young fellow, I grew up uh, out near Redmond, actually, in the Central West, in, in Mudgee. In New South Wales, and um, a family friend of ours was always tinkering with cars and had a bunch of different stuff. And we used to tag along to the eighth mile sprints out at Orange that he used to run at quite a lot, um, and just really, really got a taste for it. And um, started reading a lot about cars as a kid, lots of magazines, and um, and I got my first toy, which is an LC GTR Tirana that I still have today when I was fourteen. So that thing's been with me over twenty years now. Yeah, that that's sort of how I started out, anyway. Yeah, good stuff. Now, just for everyone, so everyone knows, you're actually a fair bit younger than us. Like, we're both 73 models, but you actually are a VH Commodore. You're an 83, aren't you? So you've got your, uh, yeah, 10 years under us. So for you to be picking up an LC at 14, that's sort of getting towards the late 90s. I suppose they were starting to become worth a bit more coin then too, would they, by that stage? Yeah, mine was a bit of a mess when I bought it. Um, sort of fished it out of a paddock, so didn't pay a, a whole bunch of money for it. Uh, matter of fact, I think as an 83 model, by definition, that probably makes me a millennial, so I'm surprised I've even been granted access to the, the podcast on the mortal enemy. But, um You know, that's something I actually hadn't even considered. We might have to cut this off right now. <laughs> but, uh, no, listen, mate, I would never pick you as a Gen Y. You, you, could have, you could have entered Gen Y of the year, almost. Well, maybe not, but... Yeah, look, I think I think you get a special pass for us anyway to be on with Gen X, but you definitely aren't Gen you definitely aren't Gen Y by mentality, that's for sure. No, no, no. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, you mentioned that you still have that Tirana now, and what's the current state of play of the car? I know that you did a V8 conversion, and uh, we'll po- actually post some photos on our Instagram of Broads LC, which we've already done anyway. But we'll put a couple of fresh pics up. It's it's now V8 powered, and the and the rest. You got any future plans for it? Uh, at the moment or anything yeah a whole bunch of plans i mean uh, the the car initially we restored it paint and body and trim and that type of stuff it had a you know like a, a mold 202 in it with triples um i think it ran bottom 14s or something like that in that sort of guise and yeah, cruised yep. it for a lot of years and eventually slid like a mild pre weight with being heads and nitrous into it and a turbo 700 and a shortened ball corner and that sort of stuff and that was a lot of fun uh, pulled the thing off the road uh four years ago, somewhere thereabouts for a, a bit of a birthday. Um, and you know how these things tend to go. Life got in the way. My young fella came along and your priorities change. And um, I've, I've sort of had to uh, scale those plans back a bit, I guess. But yeah, I'm hoping it'll be back on the road by Christmas, just with a like a fairly mild injected five litre type thing in it, just so I can start to get some use out of it again. And, you know, we'll build things back up from there. That's kind of the, the loose plans, I guess. Oh, fair enough. Couple of things on your LJ there, uh, Broads. Don't worry when Simon asks you about the state of your projects because Simon is a dead set overachiever with his cars. He's got all these cars going. Mine's just when when I say my project, my car in progress, it just means it's a pile of shit that I'm not working on. But I always feel guilty when Simon asks me, "Oh yeah, it's good. I fucking fixed a fuse box or something." So don't feel bad. The other thing is, I seriously hope. You don't put a nine inch in that car. You just said that it's got the uh, ball warner in it. Yeah, well, it's I guess kind of all GM at the moment, so flying the flag. Yeah, I'm a, <laughs> I was telling Damo Lowe the other day, I'm so glad your car hasn't got a nine inch in it, Rara, because I was reading an old story on the rights back. It has now. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. That thing's got a really trick aftermarket IRS setup in it. It's not 
not a traditional nine inch by any sense, but um, but yeah, well, it'll be a rad car when it's done that thing. It Big time. Now, when people say that, um, oh, you know, it's got a Ford diff in a Holden or something, well, you, you've got to know that there's a uh, a Fairlane or a Mustang in a paddock somewhere without the back axle in it because it's a fucking heap of shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of looking at it, and I've got to say, just um, I, I want to have a quick chat to you guys about Drag Week a little bit later, because I don't know about you guys, I've just been losing my shit on that Drag Week coverage. Every year, it's the thing I make sure that I've set the time down to actually put 15 minutes aside to watch the daily updates. But, Broads, have you got any other cars in your history, like collection, that you've had, sort of uh, besides the, the LC? Have you had anything else, sort of, of note? Yeah, a, a bunch of stuff. You know, a couple of cheap and cheerful burnout cars. Um, played around with a another LC uh, that belonged to my wife that had a 253 and a Trimatic in it. Done a lot of Ks in that. You know, 308-powered nitrous Corona and a HGU burnout car. And, yeah. uh, and I've, I've still got shares in a couple of race cars with some really good friends of mine. When I, I use the term race car very loosely, they're, they're not high-budget affairs either. But, um, you know, stuff that we have a lot of fun with for not a lot of bucks. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've had a bunch of toys come and go, but the, the Tirana for me has been, you know, the enduring one. And it's, it's a car that I've probably won't ever part with i don't think hopefully it'll it'll be my young fellas one day and that's a good way to do it too i suppose for sure it's it's kind of like your um what it in that love your beast he calls it his campfire car the xb hardtop and I yeah, guess that's yeah. almost it. and i guess i pretty much have a similar thing with my vg hardtop it's just the car i've had forever and same with you know redmond and his vk especially nowadays so i fully understand the mentality going on there that's for sure and why not i mean it's only the sort of car that i guess he's going to grow up with as well you know from the minute he's born yeah. right through it's going to be the car that he always remembers seeing in the garage or wherever the case may be so that's a really cool way to do it i think yeah we spend a fair bit of time hanging out in the shed and uh, he loves dad's race car as he calls it it's a fair way off a race car at the moment but um but yeah he's um he's right into his cars as well apples and trees i guess i like to think but it's true north like the car that you keep like your car broads you can or another to throw back to your blue crush, Simon, it's a true north. It's like whether it's just having a cup of tea and walking around it on a frosty morning. It's not necessarily even using the car. It's a feeling when you're around the car. And that blue crush, your car introduced me to that. It doesn't have to be anything except what it is to you. Well, that's exactly right. Like I've said this before on the podcast, that car's given me so much enjoyment when I've actually done absolutely nothing. It hasn't cost me a cent. It hasn't cost me any time just to sometimes open up the kitchen you know, blind and sit out in the backyard, puts a smile on my face. And also, too, Absolutely. it annoys the shit out of my neighbours when they're up on their back veranda and they get to look <laughs> at it and they don't like it. So it has its bonuses as well. I even actually made a point uh, yesterday of actually trimming the trees near it to make it even more obvious that it's sitting there. So, you know... Remember Australia Day when I got pissed and you made me sleep in it because I was farting? <laughs> <laughs> Best part was I didn't take any of the jagged metal and junk out of it because it sort of does double as a bit of a storage unit. And uh, at the moment, it's got all, I guess, the bent and twisted old metal off Lucy's EH from uh, when it got hit. That's all sitting in the back of it. And I kind of run that superstition where I won't chuck anything out from a car project until the car's finished, just in case I needed that little bit of you know, broken metal for some reason, I don't know. So it's got everything that's come off Lucy's car is piled up in the back of it. So it's doing double duty. It's looking cool as well as being mini storage. So I think it works pretty well. So, mate, I've got to say, like, the re-release of Street Machine Commodores, what's it been seven years, Broads, but since it was actually back at last on the shelves? Yeah, for sure, mate. I mean, this is issue 38, so it's not a new mag by any means, but, but yeah, it's the first one we've done in, in a long time. So we've had a bit of a breather and um, yeah, it's good to have the thing back on shelves. Really good. Yeah, definitely. Well, mate, without any further ado, I've actually put together a special, uh, an extra special opener for Bible studies for Street Machine Commodores. So if you're ready, brace yourself. Ah, how cool was that? I was getting mang manged. A um, couple of things, Broad. <laughs> congratulations on uh, putting out uh, Street Machine Commodores. Hey, Simon, have you read it? 
No, mate, I thought you were going to. Fuck, I haven't read it either. This is a bit embarrassing. <laughs> Sorry, Brad's <laughs> for that. No, just hey, shit you, mate. We're well-versed in it. We're well-versed. We're well-versed. It's all good. One thing is, if I didn't like the magazine, I wouldn't be able to talk about it. I like it. I like the, the brand. I like what it is, and I like Commodores. So, uh, as a cracker, too. I'm a fan of Commodores. Like, I mean, Commodores, a lot of things. It's from a VB to a VF, really. So, that's that covers a lot of ground. Mm. Did you see, I think, Simo, you sent me a, a link to Peter Champion's Big Banger. Uh, he wants $2 million for it, the VK Big Banger, the Marlboro race car. Oh, yes, yeah, that's right. I mean, if he if he started that money for that, that's really going to pull all the clones. It's really going to pull the interest in the early Commodores up a little bit, like, a bit like it did with the Tiranas or the GDHO, I think. But um, the Australian Commodore is the most winning car in the supercar or touring cars combined we've ever had. It's won the most titles and the most races out of, out of anybody. It's actually the current supercar champion as well. Obviously, last year, Win Cup won it with Red Bull. Yeah, that's right. It's a it's a it's a great thing. I've always said that the the Chev Commodore is a fuck cracker, mate. From the VT, I think Broads was the VT the first Chevy Commodore. Yeah, mate. VT Series Two was the the first LS One. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I think that Australian markets getting LS One in the Commodore really set our scene on fire as far as LS One the world everything. It's a uh, you know it's a really good thing. It's to me, I've always said that the Club Sport or the, or the Commodore, the late model ones, kind of remind me a little bit in the drivetrain at least of a Corvette or a Camaro. You know, it's got the, the Chevy alloy engine. It's got the IRS rear end. It's obviously a four-door, so it's not the same as it, but um, I think it's a pretty good thing. Yeah, I know what you mean, mate. I I, I was sort of, you know, the, the latter years of high school when that VT um, Series 2 came out, and I, there was one that used to prowl around town that was just slammed with an exhaust on it, and it had which number plates, and it just looked evil, you know. And a, a good buddy of mine actually has a really mint, black vt series 2 that's almost completely stock and it's just it's one of those cars that just stands out for me as is something that would just be great to have in the shed and just you know wheel out every second sunday and, and just go for a cruise still it still blows the tires off itself i mean when we talk commodores that covers everything from like an ss a, a hdt the panel vans that you got you know the late model panel vans oh, it covers yeah. club sports you know the, the two-door commodore which we basically call a monaro i've got a bit more on that with our cover shot in the magazine but it covers so what what a commodore is it covers so much stuff right from the early vb club sports Malouse, uh, everything a commodore is a big massive body of works for me really and it's local and it's good and it's cheap Huge, mate. It's, I mean, we're talking something that stretches over decades and decades, and, and there's a heap of, of different derivatives, and these kind of mags have always covered, you know, Commodores and Commodore derivatives. So you're talking, you know, the long wheelbase stuff like Statesman's and Caprices and HSV Grangers and, uh, you know, the Utes and even dual cab utes, the crewmans and, uh, you know, two-door Monaros and the wagons and so many different body styles and lifted stuff like, you know, HSV avalanches and crewman cross eights. And um, it, it's just that nameplate and, and that platform um, w was just prolific, you know, the, the number of different, you know, models and, and, and how long throughout our sort of motoring history, I guess, it stretched. And, and arguably continues to, to stretch with the ZB Commodore, which is really struggling to find favour with Aussies at the moment. But, um, but yeah, it's certainly a, an iconic nameplate for sure, perhaps the most iconic nameplate, I think, in, in Australian motoring. Look, I think for well, me, the name Commodore, my knowledge of Commodore is probably more for the Commodore 64 computer I had when I was a, when I was a kid. But I've got to say, when yeah. it comes to the ZB or ZB, and I'm not trying to bag the ZB Commodore, like, this is just a genuine, you know, feeling from someone who's not a big Commodore person as far as I love Commodores like I like them, but I don't know a lot about them. But as far as actually the ZB goes from a, a general point of view, there was one at my work the other day and I walked straight past it. I did not even I didn't even recognise the thing. Whereas if I go past a VF it stands out like dog's balls to me because they look tough, they have presence. But, you know, look, the ZB, to me, it, it just looks like a bit of a reworked Ford Taurus or like one of those new Kia sedans they've got out. They they just don't have that punch. They just don't have that identity of being a Commodore. And to be brutally honest, I think Holden would have been better to have dropped the Commodore name. Just, just buried the Commodore name on a high with a VF, which was a great car, sort of similar to what they did with the Kingswood. You know, like they knew by the end of the, the 70s or I guess early 1980, you could still get an HZ Kingswood, but they stopped the name Kingswood. They let it go with dignity 
Whereas I think now it's it's almost like an insult. I think it would have been better to have actually just changed the name altogether. Like, what do you guys think of that? Mm-hmm. Well, Dave Carey, who's one of our freelance journos on Street Machine, wrote an outstanding yarn about that exact topic, and and he wrote it right at you know in the the heat of battle when everyone really had their back up about the fact that Holden were going to call this imported um, this imported car a Commodore, and it was front wheel drive, and it was there was no V eight option, and um and and I actually really agree. And, I mean, the yarn went over and above that to sort of suggest that Holden as such as a brand name should be parked. That I'm not sure I completely agree with, but it was a it was an outstanding yarn and um, very emotive and very well-researched, as Dave stuff always is, and um, and it really struck a chord with, with our audience online. It was, um, it was a great read. Oh, for sure. Look, honestly, Dave's like fucking Google. He's like a walking Google when it comes to that <laughs> stuff. If you need stuff, he's definitely the man who's he does know his his work, and especially with more obscure stuff too. But you know, look, that is, a, I guess, a bigger picture question whether the Holden name itself should have gone. And that's not really something I'd I'd really given a lot of time to think about. But yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see it's where things go from here. <laughs> it is. It is a big call. But um, what do you reckon, Red? I think they should definitely have parked the Commodore name, but still use the nautical, like the Navy name. They could have called it the Rear Admiral, something like that. <laughs> or, or they, could it, they could have called it the Seaman Barina or something. You know, they can still use the name. <laughs> Honestly, you've got to be a bit fair to hold them. In, in all honesty, whenever I see a ZB, I just think, no way, fuck off, get fucked. <laughs> well, I guess but that's one way of looking at it. It can go and get it's... fucked on in that piece of shit. <laughs> Okay. It, it was it was always it was always going to struggle to find yeah, favour with Aussies and um and I, I think particularly off the back of the the VF2 which was such a good thing you know especially oh, yeah. in V8 guys such a brilliant car you know um so it was it was always going to be pissing into the wind so to speak for for that car to to do well. I'd buy the Toyota or the Hyundai if it comes to front wheel drive. There's no reason to buy a Holden. Yeah, I'd buy the Korean car or the, the Japanese Toyota. Look, I, I think it is definitely a big call, but I guess the bonus we do have as far as Street Machine Commodores go is that there's plenty of cars out there to be done, and there's plenty of cars. I mean, you look at what how old's a VB now. It's 35 years old, so there's going to be plenty of Commodores of the VF and earlier models being built for years to come, which will be great for Street Machine Commodores if it's something you guys can get back into doing as a more permanent addition to the shelves. Any plans for that, Broads, or is this a bit of a one-off, or what's the go? Um, the, uh, absolutely. I mean, we'd love to do more of them, but, um, you know, like anything, um, from a publishing perspective, it has to be commercially viable. And, you know, we really hope that everyone gets behind the thing and it's successful and, and we can make more of them. We, you know, we'd really love to do that. That'd be great. The, the feedback so far has been incredible. Really, really positive. Oh, that's good to hear. Look, I, I don't know if, if, especially doing Bible studies, as you know, we kind of choose our favorites, Red and I, from the magazines. I don't know as if editor, you're allowed to sort of look at looked on as being biased towards any particular cars in there. But um, Redmond, do you want to kick off with a couple of things, mate? That you've yeah, interesting. So I know you did mention that the Commodore replaced the Kingswood. It wasn't until basically the VN that we got back to a full size car. The the VB Commodore up to the VK is actually a lot smaller car, you know, than the than the big the VN or bigger than the or a lot smaller than the Kingswood was. Yeah. Yep. But um, something something changed in the Australian motoring landscape. Uh, two things that changed during Commodore's day was the Magna Please and the Camry. Yeah. Basically, yeah. they were five-seat, four-cylinder cars, and the Japanese don't look, you don't need a Falcon anymore, and you definitely don't need a Commodore. So that that uh, kind of – and from there on, it never recovered. I mean, all this came down to what happened with the VF series to it all. It basically died. But I think that was a very important turning point when the, when the Camry – and then Magnet, particularly in Wagon, said, look, you don't need a six-cylinder anymore. We can do it with a four-cylinder, same horsepower, same torque. Look, we'll put a fucking tow bar on it. Yeah. It's interesting you say that, too. If I can just quickly add, you look at cars that were considered family cars back in the 50s and 60s, like FC Holdens, EH Holdens. They aren't big cars by any stretch. Like even the XK Falcons and AP5 Valiants. Okay, the AP5, AP6 were a sign of larger cars to come, but they're still smaller than your later VE, VEF, VG in the you know 70s range. So it's an interesting concept, and it, I guess it sort of turns the Australian car market around size-wise to where it maybe have come from earlier. And even cube-wise, you think about like a, a Sigma was a 2.6 liter four-cylinder, like it's a big big motor. 
bigger than exactly. say like a grey motor or something like that, which was six cylinder. So exactly the uh, one last thing is I've done a bit of the comparison <clears throat> just with a, uh, to some of the guys with the steel bumper Commodores, the VHs. Uh, I've done a comparison with a TE Cortina Crossflow, like a factory, you know, a TE Cortina, the square one. I think it's about a seventy eight, isn't it? Oh yeah, burnout machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know him well. Well, I've, I've compared it to a VH308 four-speed, and there's some interesting VH. So I think the TE ran even a bit later than that. It's the closest one I could find to the VH. The TE weighs uh, – sorry, the VH308 only weighs 240 kilos more as an entire car with a cross-flow TE. It's only got uh, 90 millimetres more wheelbase than the Cortina. Hmm. It's uh, only got 37 more millimetres in width. So basically, when you look at a VH308 as compared to a V8 converted Cortina, there's not that much in it. Like a standard factory 308 VH is a pretty similar kind of scar, car. And we've always considered a V8 like a Windsor-powered Cortina as a bit of a muscle, as a bit of a you know petrol heads car, but it's not that far away from the stand. And the VH is a factory V8 anyway. Yeah, I guess, look, it, it comes down to brand loyalty for a lot of people, I suppose, and what sort of cars it is they want to run. But I fully understand what you mean. It's almost you can just walk into, say, VH Commodore and get yourself on the road with V8 power virtually straight away, isn't it? On that note, Andrew, while we're talking uh, street cars and, and Commodores, do you want to talk about episode 3.8 or edition 3.8 of Street Machine Commodore magazine and do a bit of Bible studies with us? Love to, mate. Let's dive in. Anybody got any thoughts on the cover? Ah, Broads, I should have warned you about this. Fucking Redmond and his covers. I didn't even think to do a cover review myself, but... Oh, I don't know. Hang on. Let me go get some 3D glasses, you know, with the red and the blue. Put some of those on and see (laughs) if there's, like, a picture of Broads brown-eyeing us or something in the background. There's going to be something weird. Look, you can have a go, Broads, at trying to distinguish the front cover if you game. So Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean... The, the cover car especially, we can chat about a lot. I, I kind of knew that this mag was in the pipeline a while ago and had okay. started to think about different feature cars and, and potentially a cover car. And um, I I knew that this, this CV8 was in the build and I, I was there at Summonats when the covers came off the thing. And the second I saw it, I just went, that's it. That's the cover car for this mag because it's, as a cover car, it's, it's perfect. It's just got such incredible impact you know the 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 color and the quality of the paint the stance the wheels the tough motor everything about it you know it's a topic of much conjecture um when you're putting mags together what you're going to put on the cover and we get a lot of heat from guys who have feature cars in the mag that want to be on the cover but there's there's a lot to selecting a cover car and it's not just it's not always the best looking car or the best built car. It's the car that's going to sell the most mags. And, and to me, as soon as I, I saw this thing at Summonats, I'm just like, yep, that's our guy. So it's a killer thing. I'm really, really proud to have it on the cover of the mag. Uh, Owen Rice is the, the, the guy who owns the car and um, it's, it's just an absolute stunner. And what I love about it is it, it was unveiled at Summonats. It won trophies in the elite hall. It's won trophies everywhere it's been ever since. And now that it, he's kind of done the rounds with it, He's going to belt the tyres off the thing regularly. And I just think that's really cool. It's a quality car. I, I really admire guys who they'll do the show scene or whatever for a year. Like they'll put a bit of a time on what they want to do. And when they've achieved what they want to achieve from that side, they're more than happy to go and lean on the cars. It's something so different from years ago with show cars, isn't it? In a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, show cars in days gone by were, were kind of career show cars, I guess. And, and the really great thing about that is there there are a lot or not a lot but a, a number of you know survivor old show cars from back in the day that we can we can celebrate to this very day but um you know a lot of the show cars these days are destined to be burnout cars or street cars or or even drag cars so i think that's just been a trend that we've seen across the past five or ten years people are sort of shying away from building dedicated show cars to building practical usable cars that they can show for a while and then just sort of gradually gravitate towards getting some value out of and, and enjoying, which I think is really cool. Almost oh, definitely. And I, I guess looking at that cover now, I'm going to try and try and sway Redmond with my thoughts on the cover. Interesting what you said, Broads, about the like the engine. Like it just it just stands out. It's not that it doesn't suit the rest of the car, because the rest of the car is smooth and sleek, so beautiful paint, but the engine is just such a, a standout for there. And the fact I can see it with the bonnet open, but I can't actually see a hole in the bonnet 
I'm going to say that the cover reminds me of a cartoon from the 50s called One Cab's Family, right? You guys are going to just have to bear with me as I try and explain this. There's like a family of cars, okay? The mum's a car, the dad's a car, the son's a car. The son wants to be a hot rod, but the father's a taxi, and he wants the son to be a taxi too. As the son gets older, he says, nah, bugger it, I want to be a hot rod. He puts like a twin carb side valve all hotted up in, in inside. He has a big crash, so he comes back as a taxi. Then right at the end of the cartoon, as he's driving away, the father's all proud that the son's become a taxi. But as the son looks at the camera on this cartoon as the last frame, it winks and opens up its hood, and here's the hot rod engine. And that's what I see from that Redman. Am I anywhere even close to my analysis of the front cover? It's saying basically it's something cool and streetable, but hey, it's got this heart of awesomeness going on. I think you're chocolate drunk. No, I, I <laughs> it's definitely. I, I get from it. It's a um, just before I start a bit of preamble. I'm absolutely stoked and ecstatic to be chatting with an editor about the cover shot of a magazine. For me, fuck mate, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. So thanks for your time, broads, and that's sincere. I don't give a fuck whether you cut this from the podcast or not. That's me being absolutely sincere as I can get. The funny thing about the cover. Here we go. It's a bit of a finger up to the establishment. As Commodore guys, I don't have a fucking plastic bumper bar. I've got a cast iron cock, but I haven't got a fucking steel <laughs> bumper bar. <laughs> so there's no, of course, being Commodore, there's not one steel bumper bar. But have a look at the cars. There's a Monaro. Right? Underneath the street Commodore, there's a Monaro. Under that, there's a Mang Mang. Up top, there's a Red SS. And I would have never thought that I would see two 1,000 double-coin truck tires on the cover of a street Commodore magazine. But you can see them. Oh, in the there. background on the Alcoas, yep. Yeah, a couple of 1,000. Um, and the other thing is the exclamation marks. There's three exclamation marks. It's like, did you see that episode of the Seinfeld with the exclamation marks? No, I can't say I did. I probably do you have, did. I do you have yeah, one. Yeah, I'm not a Seinfeld guy. What did you just say? What did you just say? Did you say not a Radio, the no, Gen is just coming through, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not sure if we can be friends anymore, to be honest. But anyway, I'll try and get There's a three exclamation yeah, lot, marks on the cover. Lot, lots of exclamation marks, Redman. We're very excited, mate. Do you ever write when you write a note to somebody? I'll be down the pub, see you soon, and you put an exclamation mark. I do. Oh, nothing I to do. be more excited I, about than that. Oh, we're, we're, we're babies of the original baby boomer, so we use that. We're fucking. We were taught, mate. If we didn't use exclamation marks, we had to wear a potato sack to school. <laughs> One thing about Monaro's, while we're talking Monaro's, we've learned no, not not that we've learned nothing that sounds negative, but I've, it's it's crazy. I flick a few to Simo every now and then. CV8's a fucking cheap, a factory Chev CV8 Monaro. Fair enough, it might have two hundred thousand clicks on it or whatever. Fuck, you can pick them up for twenty grand. Yeah. yeah, there's a big discrepancy in the value of those CV8s. If if it's a if it's one with a bunch of Ks on it, it's a bit rough around the edges. They, they can be had pretty cheap. If it's a super low K, very well looked after one. Or, or a, a HSV derivative or a HSV coupe, as they're called, bring your checkbook because they fetch big money. I think yeah, that's, that's definitely a derivative of the lessons learnt from the HKTG Monaros, Falcon hardtops, all that sort of stuff. And <clears> you look at what the equivalent, like say back in the day, you could pick up a, a Monaro for not much more than you could a sedan or a wagon or whatever the case may be. But... The massive gap between what a Commodore is worth, say a VZ Commodore compared to a VZ sedan, oh, sorry, a VZ Monaro compared to a VZ sedan, the price range is huge because I think that lesson has been well and truly learnt by the Australian car buying public that they're actually going to be worth Absolutely. something. And mm. that probably prices me out of the market straight away, but anyway, such is the way it goes. <laughs> one of them old, one of them 20, 20k CV8s. With a set of welds on it, an LS1 tunnel ram or whatever, tint the windows and slam it. That's a le- you can say to yourself, you can say it out loud. It's a legitimate Chev-powered two-door factory-numbered Monaro. Even though it's fair enough, it's if you want to pick sticks and stones out of it, it's it's not the the upper echelon side, but it's still a pretty cool way to, to travel. I reckon. Hundred percent, mate. And I think Owen, who who owns this cover car, would probably take exception to that because he's a little bit anti-LS1 and that's why that thing's got this mental 1,200 horsepower small block in it, a proper Chev, as he puts it, as opposed to a, a Chinese Chev, which is what he called an <laughs> LS1 when I interviewed him to write the yarn. 
But um, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, excellent photography in the magazine. Action Jackson in there, a car that's on the move that you like the, the photo of. It's um, very hard to pick, and, you, and you're right, there is a lot of really top-shelf photography in the mag, and, you know, I was very lucky to, to be able to involve a bunch of really talented shooters, and the results are, are awesome. But um, the, the rear shot of Timmy Holmyards VX by Chris Thorogood on page 76 is – like, that's one of my favourite spreads in the mag. Uh, that thing's like a seven-second brawler rolling down the freeway with a parachute hanging off the back, and I think that's really hard to beat. Yeah, yeah that is a however, super cool shot. Yep. <laughs> oh, just killer. Um, but um, Braden Kendrick's Blue Meanie rally car just throwing a massive rooster tail on page <laughs> yes. 125. has got to get... <laughs> yeah, that, that gets the chocolates for me, I, I think. Um, yeah, that was mine and too. Nathan Jacobs took that snap. It's a it's a cracker of a photo. And honourable mention, actually, there's um Nathan took a, a picture of a VHSLE ripping a, a shed skid on page ninety six, and I, I can imagine the sound that that thing would have been making. It's like it's a three five five with a solid roller and a Group A twin throttle set up on it. I, I I just when I look at the the photo, I can almost hear it. But um, but yeah, the the mag's full of awesome photography. We're very lucky that everyone did a great job. Well, you really do listen to our podcast, don't you? Like you've you straight onto it. You're <laughs> saying you're saying, yeah, honourable mention. You've got oh, you can hear that photo. I love it. I love it. You really are a fan. That's so yeah. cool. Dude, I'm that a makes, through and through. That, <laughs> awesome. that makes three people who listen to our podcast. It's fantastic. <laughs> love it. Yeah, thanks, Mark. <laughs> Just do what Simo does and pick fifteen cars for every category. <laughs> Yeah, nothing wrong with cutting a short story long, mate. That's that's just, that's what we live for. Hey, um, you pretty much summed up the action shot for me, Broads, with the VK rally car, you know, pitching it sideways. That was pretty cool. But tough shot wise, I managed to whittle the tough shots down to three. Now, tough shot, it's just like a stancing, pretty much not on the move. The first and probably the best tough shot for me, page sixty nine, appropriate page number, Carmageddon, that VL Calais, just sitting there. Just sitting there minding its own business. It's got the friggin' huge injector hat hanging off it. I love VL Calais. They're probably my favourite Commodore or Commodore derivative of all time, besides maybe a VF panel van. But that's a Jordan least pick as well. Um, have you seen that one on just the way that that injector hat is yeah, just Jordan so prominent? Least down the WA. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's a fantastic, fantastic shot. Second for me um, was on page 90, there's a front view of Alex. Crisis or Chris's VL Calais from Troy Barker. If you have a look at that shot too, same kind of deal. It just looks tough as. Yeah, that car is legit fast. It runs 840s. It's a street car. It's show quality. It's got a killer engine bay and custom trim. It's it's there's nothing it can't do. Um, and it's it, it kind of we had the the choice of shooting that car on a set of Simmons wheels or a set of welds, I think, which kind of transforms the attitude of the car. And it's it's just. One thing I really like about that thing, it's, it's just so versatile. It can do anything well, you know? Yes, that's a really good point, and that's kind of why uh, I guess I chose that as my rig of the month. It's a bit of a kind of a bit of a man for all seasons, that car, as far as because of what it can do. It was a very close call for rig of the month between that or Owens Monaro. Look, I think the fact it's got the blown small block share was very cool, the fact it's tubbed. And to me, tubbing a Monaro... Now, this is just my own personal opinion. I find that Monaro's, as much as I love them, I feel like they always have too much inset on the back wheels because of the rear track. Like, I feel like they almost look like they have a front-wheel drive set up where you've got, like, a lot of inset on the back wheels. Like, they need a bit of tubbing, a bit of shortening in the ass just to make the rear wheels have a bit of dish. Because of the way they're designed, you can't really push rims out wide. Mm. But I kind of really like that with his. But also the point is, too, is that in 20 years' time, people are going to look at that cover and think, oh, he wrecked a classic because he's tubbed this Monaro. And that's what I think I love about it too. It's just, it's just setting up the purist for a big fall in 20 years' time, which I think is pretty awesome as well. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Did you have a, a rig of the month? Are you allowed to have a rig of the month broads or are they all winners in your eyes? How do you kind of view oh, it? I, I understand if you're kind of <laughs> caught between a rock and a hard place. Look, it's tough because I, I, you know, I worked on this mag really hard for a long time, and I'm very close to it. And and the the cars that are in the mag are every one of them is in there for a reason. Um, but if you push me to to pick a favourite, it'd have to be Tim Holmyard's VXSS. Um, the thing, 
it's been around since my street Commodores days um, when I was a kid, you know, over a decade yeah. ago. And yeah. it's run sevens on radials and IRS, and it's got a tough as hell nitrous LS in it. It's just cool as shit. And it's a beautifully presented race car. Um, and and I love that Tim's just been chipping away at this car since it was effectively brand new and just yeah. made it faster and faster and faster. And, and he's done it in a, a an unconventional way, I guess. Like, you know, he could have slapped a turbo on the thing and, and gone sevens with relative ease compared to the way he's done it. But, um, you know, that car, it's just got such presence. And, and for what is really effectively very close to being a race car, certainly blurring the, blurring the lines between a street car and a race car these days. It's just so beautifully presented. And, yeah, I, I really rate it. Very, very cool thing. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. It is a very cool car, and he has, I guess, achieved so much with that. What about you, Red? What was your rig of the month with all the dust settles? Uh, my rig of the month, uh, yeah. it's it's. Well, I don't know if it's a feature car. It is, but uh, Lewis Yunos' is, is VK Commodore on page 122. Oh, yes, a black yeah, one. Yeah, the black one. Yeah. yeah. yeah is it black or is it Walton Blue? Oh, it's sort of yeah. black. Yeah, I'm quite sure it's black. Most most of Lewis's toys are black. It's kind of his special move. That's <laughs> <laughs> it, pretty cool. He, in the in the story, it kind of says it's uh, almost Pro Street with the weld wheels and, and the little turbo LS1, the Pro Street theme. Uh, it's it's a in a world of Blue Meanie Group A V8 mock-ups, it's good. It's just something that's a little bit fresh and... Uh, now, that's my rig of the month. I know it's not one of the big cars in the magazine, but uh, it's kind of like if I was an adult, it's kind of how I'd build my VK, I reckon. Yeah, look, I kind of have to agree if I can pull something out of that little special section you did on, on recent Street Machine feature car, Commodore-wise, it would have to be Adam Rogash's VK. Look, oh, I just that's another car, like I talked about before, the car that can be like a man for all seasons, and that's another one of that. I actually had the pleasure of seeing Adam's VK when it was nearly finished down at uh, MPW. I was visiting Melbourne on a work trip and actually getting to see it on the hoist just as it was the fight finally coming together. And, you know, it, it was a quick build, but the quality of workmanship that's gone into that car and the results it's had since, like, it was really impressive. Like, the thing is just thought out and nutted out and detailed from top to bottom, inside and out. So that, too, would kind of have to be a car for me. If I could have, like, a, a, a rig of the month from that section, that would be it for me for sure. Mm, such a beautifully engineered car, that thing. And, and you know, Adam is a guy who runs a really successful business building those kind of cars for people day in, day out. Um, yes. he's, he's a veteran of drag challenge. He's done a, a bunch of drag challenges with a couple of different cars, um, as has Luke Foley, his business partner, who yeah. uh, yep. we had his VH in, in the build up the front of the mag, so he, he's going all out with that thing. And, um, yeah, it's it's an incredible car. And I remember when it was unveiled at Red Seninats last year and and just, like you said, for, for a car that was put together um, – relatively quickly they obviously invested a lot of planning and thought in it because it's just beautifully engineered and beautifully presented and and stupid fast and and you know stupid fast straight off the trailer really exactly exactly it was sort of i guess kicking goals from the first event it went to and that that's also was really impressive with that car but just the little things like the detail in the boot and on the roll cage you know the use of um you know certain surfaces of the car it's kind of used like suede and all the rest of it. it's sort of still doing new things it's still doing features that are quite new for the scene or innovative in some way if that makes sense absolutely yeah. i think that's what really makes it appeal to me too for sure so um any special mentions redmond did you have any special mentions or what about readers rides from the mag yep i actually just touching back on that action jackson with um Braden, Jaden, Caden, Hendricks, uh, VK. One thing I did like on it is the round headlights, and everything's just gone to light bars now, and I absolutely hate the look. I like the old-school look of round driving lights. I just wanted to add that to my... Uh, and, you know, in a world of tucked-and-tub blue meanies and stuff, it's just good to see that thing with round lights just copping it sideways on the dirt. That's a great... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and with it, we all picked the same, the same car for the tough shot, that Karma VL. Yes. One thing that I liked about and I often can be accused of saying this i like articles when you can actually pull back a little bit and say this is what we can do as a magazine this is what like great photo shoot i don't know if that firewall is a background if it's a special effect if it's a photoshop i don't care it's not important but the theme and the way that it's beautifully pulled off is awesome that would have been a cracker of a poster just the one on the i think it's the next page on 60 on page 70 actually yeah. i've got it open 
Yeah, on page seventy with a firewall in the background, and of course, any car that's got the uh, sorry, oh. any car that's got the blower hat that's as high as as high as the roof. That's that's definitely a tick for me. So, congratulations <laughs> to TSL Jordan. That's a really great the way that it's in the magazine as well. That's outstanding. And as far as uh, my readers rides, actually, one little special mention. I definitely mentioned Luke Mang Mang. He's belt fed black VAU with the Vortex supercharger. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Black Simmons in it. It lurks in the story where he says he he's kind of a fan of some of the Japanese stuff, you know, the stance nation stuff where they really pump the shit out of the guards and meet them with the rims. I'm a bit of a fan of that too. I like, quite like that. You know, it's funny, that came as a special mention for me, especially loving old school, the fact he's got the huge flared guards on the back. And, you know, like VEVFs lend themselves well to that scene. They almost have a factory flared guard anyway. And it was nice to see that kind of old school thinking go into the build of that car. Whether you want to call it old school or whether you want to call it, you know, the tuner influence or whatever, it um it just yeah, it's just something different for a black Commodore Ute too. Different to the norm. For sure, mate. Yeah, that like yeah. that that car as a concept is, you know, a, a departure from the norm for a number of reasons and it's a really, really cool thing. Yeah, most definitely. And readers' rides. How about you, Reg? Do you have something good for readers' rides? Did anybody not pick the VYSS wagon for readers' rides? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I didn't. It's, oh, it's I mean, a hell of a thing. 302 cubic inch supercharged LSX, reverse cow, three-pedal car, Harrod brakes. It's like, well, I had a bit of a look at it, but that's pretty cool. And I started reading. <laughs> wow, it's pretty – that thing's a mongrel, eh? That's a pretty cool car. Look, I, I agree that it's a cool car, but for me, I couldn't go past Kane Poisel's VK, the black um, one with the blown Holden Stryker engine in it. And – I like the look of that car. Yeah, I and that. Look, the only reason it kind of, it just nudged out for me, it just nudged out uh, Nathan's orange version, which is on the page before, which of course has got tubs, it's got the Larry colour and all the rest of it. But I guess as far as detail goes, I love those groups. Is it the Group 3 or Group A, the front bars, the front bumper bars and VKs? You've got that little bit of a lip spoiler built in at the bottom. Is that Group 3? Group A, I think. Group, 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 a. group A and Group C share the same front one. I should know that, but I don't know well, let's just call it the spoiler. It was the spoiler bumper bar that, that got the black one over the line. For some reason, this is probably just my dumb mentality, but the spoiler bumper bar trumped wheel tubs, which is probably a bit scary. But it just, you know, I can, I can live with the untubbed version of the black one. I was thinking it was a tough-looking car all round, the um, black one of Kane's. Yeah, so that was my choice. How about you, Broads? Anything there that you'd probably take home over anything else? Uh, oh, I really struggle with this. I mean, because really, in this mag, the reader's rockets are, you know, feature car quality, really. Yeah, big um, time. Because, you know, it's it's hard to drum up re- genuine reader's rides when you're relaunching the mag for the first time in seven years. So these are these are cars that really could have got a start as feature cars. Um, and for, for me, it's it's the orange VK of, of Nathan Tondry. I just love that look, you know, the, the tubs, the billets, the, the, the blower, um, just, a, just a tough thing. Yeah, look, for sure. Listen, I guess at the end of the day, these were all kind of second choices for me. I was half expecting to see a VT in there missing its fuel flap with 18s on the front and the suit wheels <laughs> on the back with a rear bumper bar blown off from doing burnouts. But, you know, the cho- sticker or pretty much. I mean, these choices, yeah. you know, the quality is up there. Even the um, Iron Maiden, that VK Calais that's in there too. I had to yeah. do like a double, triple take. I'm looking at that guy going, are they 20-inch Walkinshaw rims? I was trying to work out if they were like some custom-made version of a walkie. It wasn't until I actually read through the story and saw what they were, but with the walkie caps, and I thought, holy shit, I've never seen them before. You know, like it's um, yeah. people are using their imaginations. That It's that nice mix of doing stuff which kind of looks a little bit factory, but it's got that nice twist to it as well. For sure. I, I think some of those reproduction, um, you know, older-style wheels in larger diameters can sometimes be a bit hit and miss but those those walkie wheels are really really dig and they they look great on a bunch of stuff right up right up until you know current or well, not so much current but you know vf sort of era commodores wear them really well i think yeah yeah no look most definitely and um i guess it's one of those things too where to round out the magazine you couldn't do it of any better like i love the fact you've got the retrospective piece there on um, Zoltan Bodo's VP Senator. Like, I remember that car when it came out years ago from Summonats. And do you actually know, do you know the history, of, like, the car, is the car still around? Do you know if, if he still has the car or anything like that? He absolutely still has it. And it's oh, had good. quite a few changes since that um, 
that feature was shot. It's got different wheels on it now um, and a few tweaks here and there, and he drives the thing. Um, I was actually chatting to Liam Quirk, who now is an ad guy um, with Motor, which is another mag within our stable and Liam knows Alton fairly well and I used to work with him back in my street Commodore's days you know 10 12 years ago and yes, uh, yeah. Liam said that he drove the thing from uh, where he lives in Canberra to Melbourne for Cruise for Charity a few years ago which is super cool because that's a quality car oh the engine bay finish on that thing just took it out of the, just smashed it out of the ballpark when it first mm. came out didn't it? especially for Commodore's as well so yeah yeah even today, like looking at that, it'd still hold its own, I reckon, looking at the, how it is in that feature. Yeah, no question. Just a quality car and, and nice bloke and the, the thing's achieved a, a whole bunch in the scene and, and now it's getting driven and I just think that's really cool. Yeah, most definitely. Hey, Red, you got anything else you want to round out Street Machine Commodores with? I'll do my summary now. There's uh, In the reader's rides, you've got Travis Harper's VX. It's yes. uh, have bad news. I think the number plates. And on the next page, you've got uh, prior page has got Nathan Tondry's VK, and on the cover car, all three of them cars share a very similar wheel. Uh, I think they're, I think their intro is on Owen's car. Oh yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, or show wheels. Yeah. Magazine in front of you, Simon. I sure do. Page ten. Have a look at page ten, please. Oh, hey, it's got a fuel flap. <laughs> Yeah, Ch- I, I, not mine hasn't. I'll send you a photo. I blacked it out with the text, so it goes with the <laughs> Awesome. I can't wait to see it. That'd be awesome. Yep. Good stuff. Big inch wheels on the, the front. Is, Pursuit is on the back. No fuel yeah. flap. Love it. The um, the other thing is just with some Commodore stuff on page uh, six, it, it covers the feature cars. It, the car's not in the magazine, but it's uh, a little photo there. It's meant to be page 52. It's got one of Brock's old VRs, is it? VP, by the looks of it. Yeah, sorry, VP. I think that that library, I think that a supercar library, a V8 supercar library as a street car, as a club car, is something that's way underdone as well. There's a guy, and people hate it. Hot Rod guys, I hate it, fuck them, whatever. But there's a guy who lives around the corner from me, and he's got a VX, and he's got the, you know, the lion on the side, how Holden do it, and he's just got like a, it's fake drop tank, so I don't know how to look, but it still looks like a drop tank, and it's got a few of the, the number plate also, I think it's got H... SV or it's uh, 04. Uh, I can't think. It's it's got like a mobile number plate. I really think that the supercar, race car, library, street car, club cars is something that's well underdone because it's cheap and it's fun. And they've got a Chevy in them anyway. They got it's ready to go. The, the car itself's good. I think any car in race car library is a great idea. I think it's not so much the hot rodders that get pissed off, it's to be the purists. You see when you see like LJ GDR Tiranas painted up like a Brock Tirana, they look awesome. Like, I'd love yep. to drive. I'd rather any day drive one around looking like that than, like, another restored GDR. I yeah, think, me true. personally, yeah. I, I think that's a really good thing. I think that's, we are, it works well. We're not going to finish this magazine without mentioning the guy on page 14 either. Chubster. Yep, he's helping us out with a project that we're, Simon and I, are working on as well. We'll, we'll have the details out a bit later, but uh, I'm sure for you guys, he's a, he's a, the voice of reason two broads is pretty good to bounce stuff off and he done it with an early commodore we spoke before about his uh he's got some great stories about him and his dad on that uh is it a vh they built to look like a vk back in the day yeah absolutely yeah and and chubb he's a guy he, he, i mean he's been a good mate of mine for a long time well over 10 years and um he's always uh like you said he's been great to bounce ideas off he's always been a bit of a barometer for me with work stuff um because he's he's really especially where commodores are concerned obviously he's really got his finger on the pulse and um so i'm, I'm really pleased to have him involved with the mag as a columnist and and a guy who i um sort of touch base with a lot i guess throughout the process of choosing feature cars and and um you know liaising with people and different contacts if it's not someone that i know how to get in contact with chubb always will and um he was a big help so big shout out to him for that yeah, good stuff. He definitely has proven his skills and ability through the car scene generally, not just with Commodores, but just with this fabrication also. So I, I think things will only go onwards and upwards for um, Cho and uh, Chubb. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, think, I think things will only go onwards and upwards for Chubby and his team there at Low Fabrications. So, yeah, the future's looking good. Can we see maybe 4 exclamation marks on the front of the next edition broad is that something we can set a 
benchmark there and maybe see if we can get four exclamation marks. I'll see what I can rustle up for you, Red. Leave it with me, mate. Hey, that sounds hey. like another $1,000 of Redman's money challenge to put out to you. <laughs> four exclamation marks. I still haven't seen a chrome diff on the cover of a street machine, but I'm working on it. <laughs> hey. hey, guys, that's bringing us towards the end of episode 17. But before we go, I just want to have a quick chinwag about Hot Rod Magazine's Drag Week over in the US. It's just wrapped up. Have you guys been following that pretty religiously? Yeah, absolutely. It's just such a killer event. I, I went over in 2014 um, for like a bit of a working holiday type thing and it's something I'll never forget and something I hope to do again. It's just, um, there's, I mean, we do our equivalent of it um, here in Australia with Street Machine Drag Challenge, yeah. but there's, we'll never be able to get away with, you know, 4,000 horsepower, twin turbo, big block, tube frame, composite body, six second rocket ships. <laughs> On like the street with a trailer, just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just just insane. I hope Harry Haig just said challenge accepted. <laughs> you never know. If, if anyone's crazy enough to do it, it'll be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Look, it's one thing when it comes on each year, I try to religiously make sure I get to look at all the daily updates whenever possible because um, it is something on my own personal bucket list. Even just to go and watch the event, like just tag along with the event, I think it'd be fantastic to do. But seeing the shots and vision of the cars like that, like I was watching it last night and um, Richie Crampton in that 57 Chev on the highway, that thing's fantastic. And just to see some of that cruising down the highway would just be amazing, I think. So it'd definitely be something great to do. But I've got to say... One of the cars that's really impressed me, with the as far as the Aussies go, the Aussie coverage, has been Ben Neal and that Toyota Cresta, which is kind of like a Cressida-looking thing, but it's it's got a, he's got a bar in his... And that's a pretty well-travelled car. I think it was a Japanese import to start with, and then it's then gone to America. Yeah, I guess Ben and his team and their achievements this week has been pretty awesome, and I've really... It's not normally the car that I'd kind of be interested in, but I just love the combination, the fact it's this Jap import, it's running a barra motor, and it's overseas in the US doing drag week. I think it's just a really uh, interesting interesting build and an interesting combination too. Absolutely, yeah. That thing's cool as hell. And um, Benny's a really cluey guy, and they've got that thing honking. It's um, it's running well into the nines and relatively consistently. It's um, Yes. It's, uh, yeah. As far as I know, been quite keen, uh, quite kind to them, I should say. So, um, yeah. No, That's a good point. Thing. Good point as far as the consistency goes. You know, it's, um, yeah, I think it's pretty much bang on the money there. But also, especially with the conditions I've been dealing with over there with heat and the rain. Look, I've been watching some of Arby's videos as well and, mate, I was gutted to see Arby have to drop out with engine dramas. But, yeah, look, it's sort of one of those things. It, it rolls around fairly quickly every year. And, um, yeah, it's probably one of the events I enjoy the most following along with, you know, as much as it's a little devastating following along from the other side of the world, being able to see the coverage that Street Machine and the guys do over there, uh, yeah, it makes it, at least it brings it into our land rooms a bit more anyway. For sure, yeah. It, it's a really important event. Um, so, and, and we're very aware, obviously, of the, the local interest, especially given I think there were nine Aussie uh, entrants over there this year. So, you know, it's something that we focus on a lot and we put a lot of resources into them and we've got some really clever people over there shooting stills and video and um and you know looking after things from a, a word words perspective and a presenting perspective as well so yeah it's something that we focus pretty hard on yeah for sure and listen you have to feel for the guys like jamie farmer and also tanya thompson who had their cars wouldn't be released from customs you know the and look the entrants go to a lot of expense, of course, a lot of, and you know, probably give up a lot as far as their lives go to actually get their cars over there and get themselves over there. It wouldn't be a cheap thing to do, but to go to those efforts to have your car ready and prepared and put it in a shipping container and wait out that time while it's sitting in the middle of the ocean to then get to America and not be released, you'd just be gutted. Like it's amazing that I admire them that they can just pick up the ball and, and make the best out of a crappy situation by buying a replacement car or borrowing a car or something to still do the event. Like that'd be pretty heartbreaking to be in that situation, you know. And also, I think uh, Robbie Abbott he uh, couldn't use the motor for the Malibu wagon, so they quickly got in and and did something there. But that'd be heartbreaking, mate, to be in that situation. I think. Oh, no question. And, and and by that point, by the time you've got the car in a container in the States, 
you've already spent a fortune to make that happen and there's no getting that money back. You you don't get the return on that. You don't get to go and enjoy the event and and do what you went there to do. So, yeah, it absolutely would be heartbreaking for sure and and hats off to those guys who have sort of thought on their feet and managed to cobble together a a solution and I believe Jamie's going to bring that Mustang, that Fox body um, back to Australia and do something cool with it as well, which is, you know, kind of, like you said, making the best of a bad situation. Look, definitely. Oh, I don't know the ins and outs of customs or what the deal is. Like, I don't know whether they'll just turn the shipping containers around and send them back here or whether perhaps the people who have been affected can leave their cars in the States until next year's event, which, of course, in itself would be an expensive process. But, yeah, look, I just think it would be, yeah, just soul-destroying to be in that situation. So just shows that the Aussie spirit is still alive and, you know, making the most of every situation, which I think is very cool. Now, Red, you're a massive fan of Arby's Poor 440 Valiant Hardtop. I know that's a car that you've been following closely. What is it about, for someone who's not normally a Valiant man, what is it about that car that you just love so much? I think it was how articulate Arby's been in the last few years with presenting the car a little bit. And he's not trying to be, he is that guy, but... Something he said originally two or three years ago when I was watching the car, it's been around for a while, he goes, I'll use the word genre, but he didn't use it. He goes, how's this for a car? You just go and get something old that looks classic and stuff, and then you spend your money on a drivetrain. So I thought that is actually a pretty cool way to go about it. You can just, you know, you and I don't give a fuck about the patina crowd, about this, that, and the other, you know, getting into it like that. But he's got a good point when you can just go and spend some money on a drivetrain, a training in a gearbox, a, a, a drive head and stuff, and fuck the car. Fuck spending 30, 40K on a Tron or a Valiant to rebuild it and repaint it when you can go and blow the tyres off and have fun with it. And, and I really like that as its own little – I think he kind of invented a, shub, a sub-genre there or whatever. And something I like to come out of Drag Challenge from – uh, sorry, Hot Rod Drag Week, is it? To come out of it as a comment that Telf put on – I presume it's tell put on Instagram. He goes, uh, a big thanks to the indefatigable street machine team. So I had to fucking Google what it meant. He does that quite often, Telf. He puts a word in his editorial or a word in every now and then that I have to Google, and I like that. Well, it's called a Redman's <laughs> word. That's why. Ah, the... Um, yeah, the old Redman's the, word. The guys with the thing on the barrow, the guys with the barrow motor and the Crusader, have you seen them pants, Chaz Mosden supercar down the quarter with that? No. No, that'd be awesome. A, a, a supercar pulls about 11.3 on the quarter. It does two, you know, it does 300 k's an hour down Conrad. It's not a strength a quarter. But, yeah, there's a good video. They pants Chas Mosden in the thing. They go and pull a nine in it. When you were saying Jamie Farmer's going to bring that Mustang Fox back, <laughs> Fox Mustang back to Australia, is he the guy that's talking about doing a barricade to sell to America? Uh, no, I, I believe that's um, Muscle Garage, Jason Way. Um, at tough mounts, but um, Jamie, I believe I, I I could have my wires crossed here, but I believe he's going to put a coyote in that thing. Ah, okay. Cool. Yeah. The coyote is yeah. an underdone conversion. Everybody's going crazy for a barra when basically the same thing that you need to do. I was talking to Brett Abraham about the same thing you need to do to a coyote: springs and ECM and exhaust. It's a V8 at least. I kind of prefer the, the V8 to the barra just because it is a V8. I think physical size has probably got a lot to do with that as well as far as, you know, for the engine conversion. Of course, depending what you're actually putting it in. But I think that's where, okay, as much as the Barra is a big engine as far as length goes, it's like sort of Hemi Chrysler length. Um, I, I guess it still finds itself a bit more readily fittable into a lot of different cars, especially if you've really got power to weight on the go. Yeah, that's, and I think the really key thing is the cost of entry as well. I mean, you can pick up a Barra from the Wreckers for a couple of hundred bucks, whereas Coyotes are, you know, they're kind of few and far between, and and a, a fair bit more expensive to to pick up if you if you do manage to track one down. I think we're going to have to do some. We haven't got time now, but I think in the podcast we will walk down the alley a bit of the conversions. I've got a couple of interesting thoughts on it. Like the Coyote crate motor goes into the went into the V8 brute utes, and they got a couple of seasons out of them. Also, talking with Kiwi Dave about some LS conversions, I think an LS conversion for a streetcar guy would almost sometimes be best left in the Commodore. I think we'll reinvent the wheel a bit like a club sport is a good a good streetcar for somebody. So I don't have time to break that down any further and give you my thoughts. We're really running out of time quick. But I think we should definitely in the podcast talk about LS conversions, not LS conversions, Barra conversions and Coyote conversions. I think we should really explore that a bit when we get some time. 
Yeah, sounds good. Hey, big question. What does is, what is Kiwi Dave call an LS engine? How does he say it? LS, bro. Oh. <laughs> LS, we got some escort feedback that when we get into the regular podcast, we'll give on the old Cuzzy Bro Dave. He'll give us some, uh, some good feedback. I know you enjoyed it, so when we get to our regular podcast, we'll give that feedback. Speaking of which... That'll be coming up in episode 18. Mate, episode 17, we're running done. So I guess firstly from uh, Redmond and I Broads, first of all, mate, thank you for joining us for episode 17. And again, congratulations on Street Machine Commodores magazine. It's on the shelves now. I know we've both really enjoyed reading it and I can see you've put a lot of hard work and effort yourself and the uh, Street Machine team into this magazine. So congratulations and thanks for having, you know, Thanks for coming along and joining us for this episode. We really appreciate it. Fellas, I, yeah, likewise, I appreciate the invite and I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about my baby. And um, like I said, I'm a huge Dong Slappers fan. I'm a moot through and through. So it's um, it's a really great uh, opportunity for me to, to come along and have a chinwag. I've really enjoyed it. That's good stuff. And one thing you can also take away with you, you're actually the first person, you're our first ever three-way as well. <laughs> <laughs> My little, my little disclaimer that I get to do is because I don't have any affiliation to any of the mags, the only reason, I've, any reason I want to get Street Machine Commodores on board for this podcast is I enjoyed it and it's good. If I didn't enjoy it and it wasn't good, I don't have to fucking push it. It's good, mate. Congratulations to you and the guys. Very well done. Thanks, Redmond. And, and again, a big shout out to, to everyone who lent a hand, all the shooters, um, all the writers, um, Brendan Wise, the designer, um, Brett Collingwood, who's our our Chief Sub on Streety, who's just a superstar, and and to Telfo for giving me the opportunity to um to get stuck in and do it. It's um it's been a really positive experience, and and I appreciate everyone's help. Hey, was any is anyone a cunt to deal with? You want to say the name, and I'll say you're a cunt. Nobody, mate. Nobody. I keep. There's nothing wrong with the company. I keep. <laughs> Touche. Thank God you didn't say too many. I was going to have to really give the edit button a work out there, but no, that's I'm, I'm happy that you're not saying anyone. That's fine no, with Simon, me. So I may give him that gap and he just stays into it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hey, listen, Broads, now, if you're interested, mate, would you like to stick around for episode 18 where we're going to talk about 1983, finish up a few bits and pieces on that. You can take off your uh, editing hat. You can... Grab yourself a couple of stubbies, whatever you need to do, and slip into General Carter. Mate, you keen to stick around when we record episode 18? Mate, nothing would make me happier. Let's do it. All right, sweet. Okay, folks, just remember, if you want to catch us, best place to get us is on Instagram, at the Thong Slappers. Should you have any feedback, please feel free to direct message us at uh, Instagram, or also you can get us on email. Our address is thongslappers, one word, at optusnet.com dot com dot au so thanks again broads thanks red and i look forward to speak to you guys both in episode 18 okay you guys can say goodbye whenever you're ready goodbye blossom you're the thing <laughs> nicely done all right chat to you guys soon i'll just go grab a stubby out of the fridge what? yeah sure <laughs>